where it's just quiet and you just enjoy his presence and he's not really speaking to you and you're not really speaking to him. You're just sitting in his presence. That's when you know that you really know him. But when you get into a service like this and it gets quiet, if after 10 seconds you think somebody's got to do something, it could be because you don't know his presence very well. And maybe it's time to dive deeper during the week. Is that all right? Is that good teaching right there? I didn't even got to the message yet. Praise God. Somebody say amen. amen. It's good to be in the presence of God. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. So uh, you've got the invitations for the men's and the women's. We want you to be a part of that. In two weeks, we are planning to do water baptism right here. So if you've not been baptized in water or would like to be, just let us know. And we're going to try to prepare that for you. Also, um, well, I'll, I'll mention this at the, at the end here. But we are in a series called Winning Your War. And we are staying the course. Everybody say, stay the course. You follow God's last instruction until he gives you new instructions. His last instruction to us as a body was to come out here and stay until he opens the door for us to go wherever the next step is. He's not opened that door yet. He's not even spoken it yet. So we're going to wait on God. Amen. How many believe that God has a Rehoboth for us? I want to see a show of hands. You really believe God has a Rehoboth? He has a place for us, and we are going to find that. Amen. Okay. How many of you believe that when God's timing is right, God's going to put us where we need to be? How many believe that? How many of you believe that we don't have to manufacture, we don't have to conjure something up, we don't have to try to make something happen in order for God's will to be done? Do you believe that? Amen. So we are doing our part. We do have a realtor. They constantly give us property. There's been zero since we've been here at this site. <laughs> there has been zero, count them up, zero viable options for us to even present to you. Which lets me know that God has blocked all the wrong doors, but he's about to open the right one. Amen. Amen. And I am very confident in God's timing, and when God's timing is up, it'll be very clear to all of us, and there'll be nothing to stop that door from opening. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. So we're going to stay the course. We're going to keep marching because the walls are about to fall, and we're in a series called Winning Your War. Poke your neighbor and say, hey, win your war. I've got a unique message that God has given me, and God's about to speak to you. Poke your neighbor and say, God's about to speak to you. It is a unique message that ties in kind of to the last two weeks before we get into Easter. I am going to continue this series next week on Easter Sunday. I'm going to shift to the New Testament for the one Sunday, and then I'll come back to Judges the week after. But I want to, I want to talk to you on the subject and the idea of pass your garment on. I, I want you just to say that with me. Pass your garment on. If you will turn to Judges chapter 2, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the same passage of scripture that we did last week, and if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, just before we read, how many of you are on version and you do the version Bible reading, or you do some kind of version plans? Here's what I want to encourage you. I do this every year myself. Usually today or tomorrow at the latest, I'll go through, and if you type in Easter, there will be a bunch of different types of Easter. It'll be for the whole week leading up to, the, uh, up to Easter Sunday. And it'll be all kinds of different devotions. You know, the seven phrases he spoke from the cross. Or the last seven days of his life. Or all the different, there'll be different themes. And you can go through, and I'll usually pick out five or six or seven of them. They're not long. 
And I'll just read, go through them all week long and just, just really get down deep in my spirit um, Easter weekend. I mean, next weekend, folks, is where it's at. He died on the cross on a Friday. He rose from the dead on a Sunday. I mean, there's the gospel right there. It's the greatest weekend of the year as far as I'm concerned. But and it, just fill yourself with, with leading up to Easter and leading up to Resurrection Day. There's a lot of good stuff on here. All right, pass your garment on. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 23. If you got it, shout out a good amen. amen. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Temna Haris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. This is, this, is a, this is a terrible verse in the Bible that we don't want to happen to us. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I mean, that's just awful. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Why? Because they didn't know anything about God. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherahs. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they no longer were able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who opposed, or excuse me, oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain, but he did not, he did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Before we pray, I just want to brag on our band. Did you hear how incredible our band and our music is. How awesome they worship with their instruments and with their voices. I mean, they are fantastic. Heavenly Father, I pray now you speak to us through your word, God. You've given me a word, and I pray, Father, we dial in, God, and we receive every word of it. I pray you'd anoint me to speak your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in truth and in deed. I pray, God, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. 
Anoint my heart. Anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody as you're being seated. Praise God, praise God. I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up with some hand-me-downs. My brother was a good bit older than me, but I remember growing up with some hand-me-downs. I, I, I just thought that's what you did. I didn't think anything about it as a kid. My girls, when they were small, they grew up with many hand-me-downs. Holly and I didn't have very much money. My niece was a year and a half older than Caitlin, and so my sister would buy her really nice stuff where she would outgrow it. And my sister would save it all for us, and we would put Caitlin in it, and then ultimately even Haley in it. My, my girls, especially when they were small, were, they grew up on hand-me-downs. And, uh, you know, is there anything wrong with a hand-me-down, right? I mean, I love a hand-me-down. I, I, I just, I, I think they're great. And um, uh, anybody ever grow up with hand-me-downs? Anybody ever grow up with hand-me-downs? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's resourcefulness. I, I, there's... There's some scriptures that I want you to catch, and there's a message God is wanting to teach us here today, and I want you to catch this. And it's something that in the book of Judges, they failed to do. They failed to pass on the treasure to the next generation. They failed to pass on their spiritual garments. Now, when I say pass on garments today, I'm not referring to physical clothes like I was just talking about. I'm talking about spiritual garments. Numbers chapter 20, verse 28 Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. And then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. There was some kind of transfer of anointing and the same spirit upon Aaron that, that, that God was trying to symbolize by taking the outer garments and putting it on his son as a way of stating something that, hey, in the spirit realm, this has happened. The same garment that the father wore as a spiritual priest for the nation of Israel was passed to the son or was passed to the next generation. God said, I want the son to wear the same garment that the dad did. We need to pass on the garment of faith. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to I submit to you that we are not like other families in our neighborhood. We are chosen people. We are called to be a holy nation, a holy people. Your family is not like every other family. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you are a priesthood family. You say, well, no, there's nobody in my family that's a priesthood. Yes, if you're saved, you have just become a priest. You've become priests and kings in the kingdom of God. Your family is not an ordinary family on the city block. Rather, your family is a priesthood family. And that means that you are to conduct yourself differently than what other families in the neighborhood do. Somebody say a good amen. We are a priesthood group of people who walk in authority, authority given by God. Let me show you how this works in Exodus 29. I, I want to just show you that how it started with Aaron, the father, the priest, the high priest. Then you shall take the garments 
Put the tunic on Aaron and the robe on the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turbans on his head and put the holy crown on the turban and you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. In other words, God said, I have specific garments that they're supposed to wear in the natural that are going to symbolize what should be happening in the spirit realm. In the same chapter, a few verses down, you will find in Exodus 29, 29, the principle passing the garment on. And it says in verse 29, And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. In other words, those aren't just average garments that he was wearing. Those are holy, separate, dignified garments that God said pass down to the next generation so that that same anointing, that same spirit, that same consecration will be on them. Now, I want to submit to you, those of you that maybe have children, maybe grandchildren, maybe some of you great-grandchildren, you say, hey, that day has come and gone. I want to tell you there are new people that are going to walk through these doors that have no spiritual parents, and you will be their spiritual father, and you will be their spiritual mother, and you will be their spiritual grandparents, and you have the authority as a spiritual father and mother figure in their life to pass down the same spirit, the same anointing, the same garments of serving God on you on them. Somebody say amen. My question is, what kind of garment are you passing down to the next generation? What kind of garment are you passing down to the next generation in your family? What kind of garment are you passing down to the next generation of new people who walk through these doors who don't know Jesus and have never really been in church? What kind of garment are you prepared to pass down right now to new people who walk in these doors when you are their example? When new people come in and they've never been really in a Christian church, they will look around and they will say, oh, so that's how you worship. Oh, so that's how you praise God. Oh, so that's how you pray. Oh, so that's how you receive the word. Oh, so that's how you serve. Oh, so that's how you give. Everything we do, we are passing garments on to the next generation. People are learning from us how to conduct ourselves as the children of God. It is so important to wear the garment well, mom and dad, church parent, mentor to new people in Christ. Wear that garment of faith and consecration to God with all you've got. Wear it well, the same robe and the same garment that you wear, your children, your grandchildren, and new people in church are going to wear it well. How you are is how they're going to be. If you have roast pastor for lunch after church, they're going to have roast pastor for lunch after church. If all you ever do is complain and gripe and carry on about how bad you don't like church then don't wonder when your kids won't walk through the doors and want nothing to do with it. You have given that garment down to them. It's the same one that new people in Christ and our church are going to wear. So what kind of Christian would your children and your grandchildren be if they lived exactly like you? What kind of Christian will new people who come in our doors be when they get saved if they live just like us? I know this is deep, and I know this is, you know, it'll get better next week for Easter, but this is what God has for us today. 
God is challenging us today. He is saying, I'm going to send in new people. You are the example of how it means to be a Christian. And it is our responsibility to put on the right garments. You teach your children how to throw a baseball, man, that's great. I did too. You teach them how to shoot basketball and kick a soccer ball. You teach them how to fish and hunt and shoot guns and all those things. Well, if you're from the South, you teach them how to shoot guns. But anyways, you, 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 you teach them how to do things. You teach them how to cook. You teach them how to sew. You teach them how to cut hair. You teach them all those things, and those are great. We should do all of those. But here's my question. What are you teaching the next generation about how it means to live like a Christian? Not with your words, but your lifestyle. Because they will watch us in the good times and the bad times. So what garment are you passing down to your children, your grandchildren, and newly saved people in the church? There are four garments that I, I find that we must wear that we need to pass on to the next generation and they will form our points. And so point number one is this. We need to pass down the garment of praise. Everybody shout out the garment of praise. We are supposed to transfer the garment of praise from one generation to the next. Wow. If you do not praise the Lord, your children are not going to praise the Lord. If you do not worship God, do not expect your children to worship God. If you don't praise God in here, do not expect new people to come in and praise God. If your idea of praising God is your hands in your pocket, looking at the screen, waiting for the songs to end, and the loud racket going on to sit down, then just expect that out of anybody in your life. But if you come in and say, what a glorious day. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are marvelous. Oh, hallelujah, you're my counselor. Glory to God. And you praise and you worship with all you get. Guess what? Your children will do that as well. The new people will do that as well. Is this all right today? I hope so. Am I bothering you? I hope so. What kind of praise and worship are you passing on to the next generation? Let me ask it another way. Would you be satisfied if your grandchildren and your children worship God the way you do? Would you be satisfied if new people that come to the church praise and worship God the way you do? Because you and I are creating garments and the garment will be transferred to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Every dad should be a praising dad. Every mother should be a worshiping mother. Every grandparent should be a praising grandparent. Every church member should be a worshiping church member. What I'm saying is we should glorify and honor and worship and praise Almighty God. Somebody say amen. My, my question is, what example are you setting? When a new person comes in and they sit on the same row as you, and during the music they look down, what do they see? Do they see somebody worshiping with everything they got? Or do they see somebody that just looks like they don't want to be here? It has nothing to do with preference or style. It has everything to do with, I'm going to glorify Jesus Christ. I'm going to glorify Almighty God. If you'll notice, we have one rule in this church, and that is this. Every song we sing is going to glorify God. If it glorifies God and it lifts up the name of Jesus, well, then it's on the books. We can do it. 
We let Pastor Holly pray and fast and seek God about it, and man, we let it go. Amen. Our one rule we have, does it glorify Almighty God? We've got to pass on the garment of praise to the next generation. Because when you open your mouth and you praise the Lord, your mindset changes. Your perspective changes. When you begin to worship God, all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes down like a heavy fog on a city. When the Spirit of God comes, that's when we see souls saved. That's when we see miracles done. That's when we see the power of God released. That's when we see healings flow. That's when our hearts melt at the presence of God. That's when we're out of line. We repent and get back in line. Man, I come to tell somebody, if there's one thing we need to do in this church, it is to put on the garment of praise and the garment of worship and lift up the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Woo! Somebody shout amen. The second Garment that we need to pass on is the garment of faith. Everybody say the garment of faith. Not only should you pass on a garment of praise to your children, your family lineage, and also new people that walk through the doors, but we should also wear the garment of faith. Look look at the scripture. I showed it to you last week. Let me hit it again. When I call to remembrance 2 Timothy 1.5, the genuine faith that is in you, he's writing to Timothy here, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. In other words, his grandmother Lois passed on the garment of faith in Christ to his mother Eunice, who then passed on the garment of faith in Christ to him. Do you see there? It's very clear. From one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Somebody say amen. We can transfer the garment of faith to our children and our sphere of influence. But I have a question. Do your children have enough faith to pray when sickness and bad news comes or do they fall to pieces? Do they run to secular sources to find their solace and their peace? Or is the first reaction, go to God, proclaim a fast and say, God, i got to hear from you. Is their first reaction, is your first reaction to run to the word of God and say, God, what do you have to say about this? And God, I need to know what to do from you. This is the stuff we've got to transfer to the next generation. Total dependence on God Almighty. We need to get back to where we have total dependence on God. Because I have found that we can't do this on our own. We need God. Somebody say amen. So what are you passing on? Are you passing on the garment of prayer? If your children and your grandchildren and new people who come to the church prayed the way you do, what kind of prayer life would they have? If they had your kind of faith, what kind of faith would they have? Now, these are very pointed questions, but they're said for us to look introspectively and say, wait a minute, where am I really at? Am I really praying like I should? Am I really believing like I should? Am I really praising like I should? It's called the, there's, a, there's something in the Bible called the principle of the four generations. And I want to hash this out for you because I see this happening in America. And I even see it happening in the church house today. We find in chapter 1 and 2 of Judges the different tribes or houses who they could not defeat or did not defeat of the enemy. Look, look at this list, if you will, in Judges 1 and 2. Judah, it's not listed who they didn't defeat. It just says that they didn't defeat certain enemies. The tribe of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. 
Manasseh, they made the Canaanites pay tribute in taxes but didn't drive them out. Ephraim couldn't drive out the Canaanites. Zebulon couldn't drive out the Canaanites. Asher couldn't drive out the Canaanites. This is one tribe after the other. Naphtali couldn't drive out the Canaanites. Dan couldn't drive out the Amorites. The house of Joseph made the Amorites pay tribute in taxes, but couldn't drive them out. It often is often easier to live with a problem than it is to face and defeat that problem. And from these failures, we learn that the negative and evil forces that we don't deal with and drive out of our lives can eventually become snares to us and keep us in bondage. Remember two weeks ago, do you leave one thing there, it can come back to bite you. And what he's painting the picture here, God is, is that there's some things that we've got to get out and we've got to believe God for. The people served the Lord, watch this, for three generations. They served the Lord under Moses, they served the Lord under Joshua, and they served the Lord under the elders of Israel. But when those three generations died out, a fourth generation rose up who did not know God and did not serve God. And did you know that the patriarchs paint that picture? In other words, when one generation comes out and serves God with fervor, history records that it gets more passive and more passive until by the fourth generation, many times they're not in church anymore. Think about your own family lineage. Think about our country right now. Let me show you how this works. The first generation, Abraham. That generation was moved by faith. Everybody say moved by faith. Okay. Abraham got a call in the ministry that said, I want you to go in that direction to a land I'm going to show you. He packed his bags. He left. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how things were going to work out. All he knew was the voice of God said, go, and he went. My question is this. Are you willing to step out in faith simply by hearing the voice of God, maybe not knowing where you're going to go, how things are going to turn out, but you know God sent you, and you're willing to go? It's that, it's that faith in the Word that says, God, I know what the doctors say, but your Word says I am healed. I know what doesn't look good in the natural for little Johnny, but I know the word says me and my household will be saved. I am going to stake my life and my faith on the word of God. And I'm going to move by faith. Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says it this way. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. In other words, everything you've ever known. To a land I will show you. Now picture this is you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and, the Lot, and Lot went with him. Lot was like, I'm going with him. Abraham represents a generation of believers who are moved by faith, who are moved and believe God. They believe God for great things. They believe God for miracles. They believe God for healings. They believe God for their families to be saved. They believe God for their provision. They believe God to plant churches. They believe God to get in certain communities and transform those communities. That is the generation, watch this, that walks by faith and not by sight. That's the generation that walks by the Spirit and not by the flesh. But then he had a son named Isaac. And Isaac represents a second generation of believers that are not moved by faith, rather they're moved by feeling. 
Abraham's son inherited the blessings of his father, but Isaac's eyes were dim, the Bible says, and that always, when it refers to that, it's meaning spiritual blindness. They're going spiritually blind as well as physically blind. And he was deceived by his feelings. Watch this in Genesis 27. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. I'm telling you, there's a generation that rises up after the first generation is moved by faith, and they're moved by feelings. They're moved by emotions. They're moved by internal opinions. They become very opinionated. They're moved by feelings rather than by simple faith in God's word. Well, pastor, I know what the word says, but I feel. Well, pastor, I know what God thinks, but my opinion is. Well, pastor, I know this, but here's how I feel about this situation. Well, I know God says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, but I feel like I want to do that. I want to tell you, when you get to move by feelings rather than by faith, you're going the wrong direction every time. Often the second generation of believers are set in their doctrines. They become judgmental. They become critical of others who have a different interpretation of biblical passages. They would rather be moved by their feelings and opinions and emotions than be rooted and grounded in the word of God. Pastor, we should do this. I just feel this. I feel that. I feel as though, you know what, we cannot be moved by our feelings because they're like roller coasters. One day they're here and the next day they're down here. But the word of God remains steady. We have to be moved by the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, it's the book for me. Somebody say amen. amen. But then it gets worse. The first generation is moved by faith. The second generation tends to be moved by feeling. Well, the third generation, now Jacob, Isaac's son, is moved by flesh. He received the generational blessing from Isaac. So he got the blessing, Genesis 27 through 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. But Jacob loved the Lord and he enjoyed manipulating people for his own benefit though. He loved God with all his heart, but boy, he liked to do things that were moved by the flesh. This is the type of believer that is dealing with their flesh and carnal nature. Let me define that. The flesh refers to carnal person's work, such as envy and strife and uncleanness and unforgiveness and bitterness. This third generation of believers begin to struggle with the works of the flesh. What do I mean by that? They're good at holding grudges. They're good at running from churches, so they'll stay at this church a little while, and then something upsets them, and they'll run to that church for a little while. And something upsets them, and they'll run over here to this church a little while. And they'll run here, and they'll run there. They become professional gossipers. They begin to move. Everything is moved by their flesh and by what feels good to them inside. Their liberty in Christ is interpreted as a license to speak freely and use criticism as a covering for their spiritual concern for others. Brother, we need to pray for so-and-so. Most of those prayers are really, I just want to gossip about them, but I'm going to hide it under the banner of prayer so that I can feel good about getting away with it. There's a generation that is moved by faith. There is a generation moved by feeling. There's also a generation that is moved by flesh. Here's the problem with being moved by flesh. 
When you are moved by flesh, it's weighty. What is your flesh? It weighs. It's, it's heavy. But when you're moved by the Spirit, the word for Spirit in the Bible is air. It's free. There's no weight to wind or air. We have a choice in life. We can walk by the Spirit. We can walk free and light in Him. Or we can walk weighed down by the flesh and the things that we want. But then it gets worse. There then arises a fourth generation who was Judah represented the fourth generation and he is moved by fornication. So it goes from faith to feeling to flesh to out and outright sin. Now Judah's name means praise and worship so the fourth generation can be marked by praise and worship. They can be known as the praising generation. They can be known as the worshiping generation. However, with Judah, he fell into immorality. He committed fornication with his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. And despite being a praiser, despite being a tribal leader, he became morally careless and morally inept. This is the generation, listen, of praisers that will come in on a Sunday and they'll worship God on Sunday morning and they'll dance before God and they'll cry tears and they'll go home Sunday night and sleep with someone, not their spouse. This is the generation of people that you find in Proverbs 7 where the immoral woman is trying to, trying to get the young man to come to her. And she says, hey, I paid my vows and gave my offerings in church today. So therefore, I did my religious thing. That means I'm good for adultery tonight. I'm telling you, there is a generation of people out there that call themselves Christians, even from pulpits and churches around America that are not living by faith. They're not even living by feelings or flesh. They're flat out living by sin. We've got to pass on the garment of faith. Somebody say amen. The patriarchs moved from faith to fornication in four generations. Listen, people of faith used to live in the state of Washington. They're now third generation pagan. That means they've had three straight generations where nobody goes to church hardly. Nobody wants to go to church. They don't know anything about the Bible or God. That is quickly happening all across America. We have got to step up and pass on a different garment. When new people walk through the doors, we need to show them this is how you live for God. This is how you worship God. This is how you believe. This is how you do things. Somebody say amen. amen. We've got to go back to living by the Bible. Somebody shout amen. amen. The first generation of the patriarchs went from passion to obeying God, to unbridled passion that led to sin. Listen, biblical and secular history often points that the original vision, the original passion, the original pur uh, 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 purity of the first generation slowly wanes by the time of the fourth generation. It becomes replaced by pride, selfishness, and all kinds of carnality and sin. As believers, we've got to pass on the garment of faith-filled Christianity to the next generation. And that leads me to the third point, and that is this. We've got to pass on the garment of holy living. Is it okay to still preach on living right? Does anybody want to live right anymore? The next garment is holy living, purity, integrity. It's the garment of sexual purity. It's the garment of just living right and doing the right things. The enemy will tell this generation, purity is not for this day and time. This generation, what they're trying to shove down these kids' throats is horrible. 
They're telling them, you don't really even know if you're a girl or a boy. Yes, you do. We know what you were born as. That's what God made you. That's what God defined you. We need as a church to step up and quit, quit mamby-pamby and around because we're afraid of what society says and say, no, you were born a girl, you're a girl. You were born a boy, you're a boy. Is that all right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You're reasonable. Did you know if you live right by the Bible, God says that's just your reasonable thing to do. You're not even doing anything extra. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, we've got to be a living sacrifice. Be part of service. We need to wear a garment of service. Somebody say amen. We need to wear the same garment of purity and the same abstinence from certain lifestyles that Jesus Christ did. You know, if we're going to say we're a Christian, we should act like Christ. Is that still okay? Our roadmap to life is what God teaches us in his word, not what society says is okay. Just because they say you can abort babies does not mean God says he's all right with it. Just because society says you can be all these alternative lives, that doesn't mean that's the way God put in the book. Just because, just because society says you can cheat and lie and steal and all this, does not mean God says it. Passed on my truck to my son, so I went and bought another one, one that I could pay cash for. and Not exactly what I would want, but it's what I could afford without going in debt, so I did. And uh, we went to sign the title over, and we walked out, and the lady says to me, Oh, just write whatever you want in the, for the money, how much you paid. I don't care what you put down. And she walked off. Well, I got in there, and I thought, well, this truck's then been paid taxes on two or three times. The government is triple and quadruple taxing on these vehicles. They're robbing us citizens. This ain't, this is, we got to put a stop to this. It's got paid taxes when it was brand new. The next guy paid taxes. The next guy, here I am, they're getting four taxes out of this. We're getting, forget double taxation, we're getting quadruple taxation. And I had that little devil in my ear say, you can write what you want. Nobody will know, Pastor Dallas. I said, well, God will. And whether I like that scripture or not, he said, give to Caesar what Caesar's. When I got home and I got me an ink pen out, and as bad as I hated to, I wrote down the full amount of what I paid that person in cash. Nobody but me and God would ever know. And I said, God, it ain't right that I got to pay $500 in taxes when it's already been paid tax and tax and tax. And it made me mad. And I said, but you know what, God? I'm going to do this to honor your word. And integrity is not about what you do in public. It's about what you do when nobody else is looking. And I said, God, you got to be bigger than $500 tax bill. So here it is. But I don't like it. Caesar's got enough. Caesar don't know how to manage what he's got. They robbed from us and they're still $30 trillion in debt. I don't like what's going on with Caesar, but 
What society says is okay and what Caesar says is not my concern. It's what does God say in the book. Are we going to go back to holy living or not? Are we going to live right when it costs us something? Are we going to do the right thing when it's not exactly what we want to do? Is it okay? I know some of you look at me. Oh, I can't believe pastor. He was tempted. I'm human just like you. What you talking about? I won't even ask you to raise your hand the last time you had to put down on the title what you paid. I better go on because now I'm meddling. I know there are some in the church that live any way they want, but that's got to be different than us. I'm not saying we got to be better. I'm saying we got to live by the Bible. I'm saying when we put our head on the pillow at night, we got to know, God, I live for you today. I'm saying that when the trumpet sounds, that we go to glory with the Lord because we're living a righteous, holy lifestyle today. Is it okay to still preach this way? If your children and your grandchildren and new Christians in the church wore the garment of holy living you wore, what kind of integrity would they have? Would someone be able to accuse them of being a real biblical Christian? Could somebody come to you, Pastor Dale, and I know your spirit and I know your heart, and say you're a real authentic Christian? We've got to pass on the garment of holy living to the next generation. And finally, we're going to close with this point and we're going to pray with this. Because this is my favorite part of the message. It's going about to get good. We need to pass on the garment of a supernatural anointing. But if we don't wear a garment of praise and a garment of faith and a garment of holy living, we'll never get the anointing God wants us to have. Wear the garment of anointing and miracles. I want to tell you, miracles are for this generation too. I'm going to say it again. Miracles are for this generation too. Miracles are still for today. Miracles can still happen today. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? These garments... These garments are looking for some teenager. They're looking for some 20-something, some 30-something, some elderly to just dare to believe God still does miracles today. Does anybody still believe in God? God is looking for somebody to say, if there were miracles in the Bible and there were miracles in other generations, then there should be miracles in my generation as well. I'm going to believe God for miracles. Because God still does them. The word miracle means an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Will you pull that up for me, that definition? Miracles means, or maybe we don't have it. Okay. Miracle means an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Here's what it basically means. You know what a miracle is? You ready? This is very simple. Say it with me. Say, an act of God. Do you still believe in miracles? The garments of praise and hope and purpose can be transferred to the next generation. From grandmother to mother to son and so on and so on and so on. All the garment of praise and faith and miracles can be passed on from grandfather to father to daughter and so on and so on and so on. Put on the garment of the anointing of God. Put on the garment of the Holy Spirit and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. If I wear it, they'll wear it. If we wear it, they'll put it on. Romans 13. 
13, 14 says it this way. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh or to fulfill its lust. We as the body of Christ, we as the children of God need to put on the garment of the Holy Spirit. We need to put on the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. I'm come to tell you the enemy's not going to win with your family. But never forget it's not just you you're fighting for. As a matter of fact, the garment that you're wearing now, some generation before you, their anointing, their prayers, their intercession, their belief, their faith, their holy living is inside of you and has been passed to you. That's what you're wearing. We need to do the same. Never forget that your Christian walk is not only about you. It is about what you're passing on to the next generation. There are people that need miracles in this house and we're going to pray. But before we do, Aaron, come up here, son. There's something in my life. The way I live, the way I praise, the way I worship, the lifestyle that I live. Now you can stand right here. I want to get you on the camera. Way high. Your geeky's watching right there. Say, hey, geeky. <laughs> Amen. My job isn't just to get them through high school and hope things turn out good. No, there's, a, there's garments that we have to pass on. There's, there's something there's something in our lifestyle. There's a con- way I've conducted my life that says something's going to get passed on. And I got to say, son, you, you got to wear this garment. You got to wear the garment of praise I wear. Now, there's a responsibility with that. That means you have to conduct yourself a different way. That means you and your sisters carry the torch. That means you just can't live any old way you want to. That means you've got to live by faith. That means you've got to be a praiser. That means you've got to live righteous and holy before God. That means you've got to still believe in miracles. That means you've got to hear the voice of God. There's something that's got to be transferred from one generation to the next. We've got to pass those garments on. So that when we lay hands, we say in the name of Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ so you won't fulfill the lust of this world. All put on the power of the Holy Spirit. Put on the garment of faith that your mom and I and your grandparents before us and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents and on and on have wore. You wear it, you wear it well. You wear it, there's a responsibility there. Wear it with all you got. Live it with all you got. Wear the garment that we have placed before you. Carry the torch and live for Jesus and let your children one day wear the garments and on and on and on. That is the responsibility, folks, that you and I have as a church body, not just for us, but for other people that walk through these doors that have no covenant with God, that don't know Jesus. You pass on the garments you're wearing to that next generation. Somebody shout amen. Amen.